Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we wanted you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message with our very own Pastor Terrence Wilson. Y'all ready for a word? I'm ready to preach one. I promise you won't, it won't take long. We're starting a brand new series today about the Holy Spirit called Higher Learning. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm excited. I love her. Now, see, I say Holy Spirit. Some people clap. Some people don't because some people are scared. Because you've been to some Holy Ghost uh, moments at church. And I'm an old school Pentecostal boy, so I done seen it all, man. I done seen the backflips down the aisles. I done seen the fall. I done seen it all. But if we minimize the Holy Spirit to some actions that people have taken, we've already missed what the Holy Spirit truly is. If we've, if we've minimized the Holy Spirit to some expressions that maybe you've seen, or a few church services that maybe seem like they've got out of control, we've already missed how powerful the Holy Spirit truly is. So I, I want to... I want to start this message off by giving us a general understanding, and by no means do I profess to be uh, 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 an aficionado or a savant or, or, or an expert in, in anything about the Holy Spirit, because let me tell you something, it's too, it's too vast for any human to fully understand. But I'm going to try my best on God's word to kind of break things down and hopefully we all get a better understanding. Here's what you need to know. If you don't learn anything else from this, this, this series, you may not understand the Holy Spirit, but you got to know that you need it. It's, it's like, it's like Wi-Fi. We don't fully understand how Wi-Fi works. I text a picture to my wife through the Wi-Fi. I don't know if it breaks up in the little particles, goes into the Wi-Fi cloud and rains back down into her phone. I, I don't have a technical understanding of Wi-Fi. I don't understand it. But here's what I know. I'm sick when I don't have it. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. You may not fully understand it, but I'm telling you, you cannot live your best life if you don't have it. Amen? Let's get into this word today. I want to read... If you're watching online or you're in this room, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's Pentecost Sunday, and I'll explain what that means in a moment. It's Pentecost Sunday today, okay? I, I, I love this. Acts chapter 2 is a perfect time to start a Holy Spirit series. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And some of y'all saying, wait, we, we passed by the offering. Wait, oh, trust me, it's church. We ain't forget. <laughs> it's, it's coming at the end, Okay. So, you know, oh, some of y'all are like, oh, shucks. You know, it's all right, man. Just save it to the end. Okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You can have fun at church. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly. A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. Could you imagine tongues of fire on some people's heads in this room? Some of us will be more flammable than others because of our lace fronts, but that's okay. Some of y'all, ah! Yeah, I ain't got nothing to burn. <laughs> All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders, I love this, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Wow. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And the church said, if you're taking notes on this message today, on this Pentecost Sunday, I've entitled it this, Unity and Power. Unity and Power and power. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And God, I thank you that before the earth began to spin on its axis, you knew each and every person that will be in this room, each and every person that will be at the fountain, each and every person that will be watching online, God. You knew all the people that will be connected to hear this message on a Pentecost Sunday. And God, I pray that you open hearts, minds, and ears to be open and receptive to the word. I pray that I would lie down as you rise up. Don't let these words be my own, but let them come directly from your throne room of grace. God, I pray that the one that needs to hear this will hear it. God, I pray that somebody finds Jesus before this is all said and done. I'm praying for the one that needs to hear this the most. And God, I'm praying that today will mark a day in history where two churches decided to become one because we realized that we are better together. God, we love you. We thank you. Bless this word in Jesus' name. And everybody set. Everybody set. Take about five seconds. Give Jesus a shout of praise. Come on. Amen. Pentecost. Pentecost in the Greek means 50. 50. Pentecost. Why does that matter so much? Because after Passover, one of the three Jewish feast days, then there's the second Jewish feast day called Shavat. Shavat. And it comes literally 50 days after the Passover, right? So hence the word Pentecost, all right? Now Shavat would be known as the Feast of Weeks. And this is a very important feast on the Jewish calendar because it represents the bounty of the harvest. The Israelites, when they would, when, when the harvest season had come, they would take in a harvest. And what they would do is they would take their first fruits. They would take the best of what they had and they would give an offering uh, unto God. They take an offering to the temple given unto God so that they could show their gratitude for everything that God had provided. Amen. I, I love that. That's a principle that we continue to understand here. It's like everything that we have belongs to God. Can I get somebody to agree with me on that? Everything.
everything we have belongs to God. So out of our gratitude, we always give something back as a representation uh, to say, God, we're so thankful for all that you have given. We would have nothing without you. So on Shabbat, they would they would bake um, um, some loaves of bread and take them to the temple, loaves of wheat bread. They would take them uh, to the temple as a sacrifice to say, God, we're giving you back the, the choicest of what we've, we've, we've harvested. We're giving you back the best of what we harvested. Another thing that will happen on Shabbat, Shabbat or Pentecost is a celebration of the law. It's a celebration of the law, the, the law that, that we see God give to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20. We see that, that the law comes unto the people. And I love the law because the law gives us direction. It tells you what to do. It tells you what not to do. And to celebrate God giving Moses the law to give to his people, uh, the Jewish people celebrate Shabbat. And what would happen in synagogues, I'm st- still today, all all over this nation is that um, um, the, 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 the rabbi would, would stand up in front of the people and he would read out the law in their hearing and everybody in the congregation would stand as they read the law together. And that's how they would celebrate. They would celebrate not only how gracious God had been to them by providing through the harvest, they will also celebrate the law that was given to them on Mount Sinai. It's interesting because on the Old Testament day of Shavuot, if you go back in your Bible and you could pick it up and, and read it in Leviticus 23 or, or Numbers 28, but the Old Testament version of the day of Pentecost or Shavuot is interesting because it's a day where the law is celebrated. But by the time we get to the New Testament and we see this experience that happens in Acts with the brand new church that was just being formed called the way the early Christian church. They weren't it wasn't called Christianity. It was called followers of the way. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Right. So the early followers of the way they came to Jerusalem to celebrate Shabbat right in the traditional manner. They came to celebrate the law. But how many of you know God had other plans? It's interesting that the Old Testament day of Pentecost, Israel received the law. But in the New Testament day of Pentecost, the church received the spirit of grace through the Holy Spirit. One set of people in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, they get law. Another set of people, they're sitting in an upper room, they're praying, they're believing. God pours out the Holy Spirit as a manifestation of grace upon all his people. I love God because he's so intentional. He says, you know what? I'm about to pour out grace on this earth like never before, and I'm going to wait for the perfect time to do it. I'm going to wait for the day where I know everybody wants to celebrate the law, and I'm going to show them something new. This is the God that we serve. I can appreciate God's intentionality because he orchestrates this New Testament day of Pentecost by using an Old Testament celebration of the law in order to bring a New Testament celebration of grace. How does this happen? Let's talk about what happens on the first day of the New Testament Pentecost. So first point, what happened at Pentecost? What happened? Well, What happened on Pentecost was the unification of God's people for God's purpose. 
So what happened? Acts 1, 4 through 5 says, on one occasion, while he, he is Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Now, this is after the resurrection to give you some context. Jesus was like, he showed it off himself to, to hundreds of people. People saw him. was like, yo, he really is alive. He wasn't playing. He said he was going to come back. He came back and he's eating. We know he came back in a glorified body, but he still ate just like everybody else. I, 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 I love this. So he was eating with them. He gives them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Right. For John baptized water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Passover happens. Passover is around the time that Jesus was crucified. He comes back to life three days later. Time passes. He shows himself to all these different people. And then there's a there's a seven week period from Passover to Pentecost. And then that's 49 days. And then the 50th day is Pentecost. So on day 40. Ten days before Pentecost, Jesus, he's sitting down with his disciples and he says, hey, I got something for y'all. It's about to be the best gift ever, but you got to go to Jerusalem and you got to wait. You wait. I promise the gift is coming. And I, I, I love this because he says, just go wait. Go away. Jesus, he, after that, he ascends to heaven looking like the Jordan jump man symbol. It's amazing. And then he says, go wait. So not only do the 11 disciples that are loved, because we know what happened to Judas, not only are they gathered, but Jesus had a lot of different followers outside of his immediate 11 disciples. And I, I, I love this because they go to this place called the Upper Room. It's actually about 120 people in all. 120 people. They go to the Upper Room and they just, they waiting. But I love it because while they were waiting, they were praying. Bible says 120, they gather and they pray. I'm sure they were singing songs. I'm, I'm sure there was fellowship. I mean, they were waiting. Now, you, you got to imagine the disciples. They're like, all right, man, Jesus won. He said he's coming back. But he also said that, you know, he's about to send this gift. They probably thought they would have to maybe wait a day, maybe two days, maybe three days. But how does your spirit start to feel when you know that you're waiting for something to happen and it don't happen when you want it to happen? Like, you could probably imagine how they began to feel like, wait, wait did you say wait here? Maybe he meant the other place. Because this thing still ain't. But I, I love that because the, the disciples, when you read this, it doesn't show any signs of distraction or discouragement because they had to wait. They just went to wait. They just wanted to wait. Some of us get so frustrated when God makes us wait on stuff, when God just wants to see how diligent you are when you have to wait. We went through uh, uh, four years uh, uh, of this church. First year, we shot out like a rocket. Two of those years, uh, years two and three, it was all pandemic. I was like, Lord God, I, I know the promises you told me when we started this thing. What is going on? And I just had to sit there and wait. Now, what happens is when some people wait too long, they give up. But I love the disciples. You know what the Bible says that they did for 10 days straight? Prayed. I just want to encourage somebody. I don't care how long you've waited for something. If God told you to wait, you wait and you continue to pray. You continue to worship. You continue to fellowship. You continue to be in the body. You continue to do all the things that he told you to do until he tells you to do something different. 
Sometimes God will allow things to stretch out just to see if you have the patience to wait for what he wants to give you. I love this because crazy things happen when people wait on God. I mean, they, they was probably sitting there late in the midnight hour. They probably start singing all kind of songs. I'm telling it was great. We're moving, moving forward. They, do you make all things new? I know I can't sing. I don't care. I'm just telling you. They was, they was waiting, they was singing, they was praising, they was eating, they was having a good time. Could you imagine if we got locked in this room for 10 days straight? Tell me, oh man, I'm Miss Brunch. <laughs> Some of you think about brunch, but here's the thing. The reason that things don't happen in God's house the way that you want them to happen is because you're, wor- you're more worried about getting out than staying in. I can't wait for the let out. No! No! We want to see the power of God show up, but we don't want to wait around long enough for it to come. This, this, if there's one thing I admire about the disciples, they messed a lot of stuff up. But when Jesus said, wait, they waited. We, we're trying to get to the next appointment. We want to get to the next thing. When Jesus says, I need some of y'all to wait on me. Because if you wait on me, what I have for you is better than whatever you think you're trying to go out to next. He says, wait. It's it's no wonder to me that tongues of fire came to dance on people's heads and a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came up into the place. What would God do in the church in 2023 if people walked into God's house and they weren't so fixated on what they're going to do after they leave God's house? If they would just sit in his presence with some expectation, just waiting, just believing. We want to see people get up out of wheelchairs. We want to see people brought back to life. We want to see the blind see, but we don't want to wait. You better, you better preach with me, baby. We, we, we want to see the miracles that the disciples see. We want to we wanna have the power to see our shadows just cross over people and they get healed. But we don't want to wait in God's house. I got somewhere to be. Where else you got to be better than this? Better than in the presence of God. We, we, we want it, but we don't, we don't wait with expectation. 120 people, man. I, 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 I love this because God shows us, man, crazy things happen when we come together. When we wait on him in unity with expectation. Like this is why the Bible says in Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering of the saints because there's encouragement. I get encouraged when I come here because like even if, even if my faith, I got like a quarter tank of faith left, I could come in this house. And I can get around some people that got some faith like me, and I can say, ooh, I need to get filled. Ooh, let me get in this worship. Ooh, oh, I seen what, my, what God did for Kevin, so I know if he did it for Kevin, he could do it for me. Oh, I seen what God did for Sister Rose, so if she did it for her, hey, he could do it for me. And I start to get encouraged, and our faith starts to unite. And mir- we set an atmosphere. It's like the perfect storm for miracles are created because we come together. Now, here's the thing. I know there's some folks... And you stay home today, and I love you, but you say, ah, I could get in here at home. I could be by myself. That's true. God will meet you wherever you are. But it is something about an atmosphere of agreement. When we come together, oh my, like, like listen, I hate to bring this up, but I got to do it. Last night watching that game. So I'm, I'm leaving. I was good until you got there. I'm still not over it, Pastor. Like, I want to give Miami Heat uh, fans credit because we do have some of the craziest fans on the planet. But like, you know, 
In that fourth quarter, about five minutes in, when that game ain't looking too good, you ever been to a heat game? Them stands clear quick. But we don't play that. We're like, oh, it's traffic. I got to go. But man, like, I was at home. I was yelling at my TV. I had asked for repentance afterwards. I was yelling. I was, I, 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 I was yelling. But I was looking at the people on TV and down to the last second. Like, man, like, like, how, man, we had some faith when Jimmy hit that free throw line, didn't we? He hit that first one. He was like, whoo! He hit that second one. It was like, whoo! Let me tell you something. When he hit that third one, I jumped over the roof of my house and ran back inside. I was like, ah, Jesus! But did you see the people in the audience? The, the people in the room was like, ah, like, I mean, talk about white hot. People were speaking into all I heard. Like, I mean, people, people was going crazy. Like, I was like, man, if I felt like this at home by myself, imagine how I would have felt if I was in that atmosphere. Now, the feeling ain't last because of what happened after, but we ain't going to talk about that. But could you imagine the intensity in that room in the moment? For what? Listen, listen. For, for that three seconds, we all believed that a miracle was about to happen. And the whole room's energy, the all of Miami's energy, we could all feel it. Listen, if we can get like that for a freaking basketball game, what would happen if we came into God's house with the same level of anticipation knowing that Jesus stayed in the ground one day, he stayed in the ground two days, but it's something about that third day, he got back up and we all get excited because we know that we have not lost, we know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world we know that we got the victory in Jesus name and guess what the devil ain't gonna hit a shot at the last minute off the backboard because he has already lost. The clock is done. Time is out. And Jesus has won. Ain't no coming back. It's over for him. Jesus already came back. You better preach with me. Shoot. Game got me in my feelings. Make me preach harder. <laughs> they all join together. Yeah, you could do it by yourself, but it's something about being with the body. It's something about when we're unified. Look at what the Bible says, Acts 114. It says, they all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2, 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. You hear the common theme? Together. There was something that God wanted to do through them collectively that he did not want to do individually. Something about, there's a power of agreement that produces this perfect storm called the Holy Spirit that shows the world God's power through us. There's a, I love it, in that moment there was a distribution of power from heaven for the purpose of unification. God says, I got to bring these 120 people together because the entire world's going to come against them. They need to be on the same page. They got to get this word out. 
They got to lift up my name because I know what's going to come against them. But if I am for them, who could stand against them? If they could learn how to stand with one another and have each other's backs and stop fighting and stop bickering and stop talking behind each other's back. If the church could just get together, what would happen? But I got to give them a power because my power is a unifier. God sends his Holy Spirit to fall on people. And the Bible says these Galileans begin to speak languages they have never spoken before. But the people who were in the city to celebrate Shabbat, they came from all over the world. And these were eloquent languages that they spoke. So when they heard it, it was like, how do these Galileans speak in that? You ever been in like a different state? You go to a different state, people have different accents in different states, right? Go to Georgia, you got, you know, more of the southern twang. You go to New York, it's like, I'm a New Yorker, can I get a cup of coffee? You know what I'm talking about? That's my wife. A cup of coffee, right? You go to, I don't know, you go to Boston. Uh, I'm Marcus Smart. Can't stand him in the name of Jesus, but... <laughs> You know, wherever you go, it's like a different, different twin. I used to live in Baltimore, Maryland. That's where I went to college. And when I was up there, they called me a Bama. Anybody that lives in a state lower than, you know, Maryland, they would call you a Bama. They thought I was a Southern boy because I came from South Florida. It's all you a Bama. But I thought, they thought I was strange, but I thought they were strange too. Because when, when they spoke, the Baltimore folks, like especially like city folks from Baltimore, they got a certain kind of twang when they talk, certain words that they pronounce that, that we pronounce differently. So, for example, like, they don't say the word dog. They say Doug. I look at that Doug over there. I was like, who's Doug? <laughs> they were actually trying to say dog. I was like, the dog? Yeah, that Doug. You ain't see that Doug? I, the, the, the dog? No, it's a Doug. I'm like, is his name Doug? No, it's a dog. <laughs> they had a certain kind of twang. So because of that, because of the Galileans, the Galileans, they had heavy, heavy speech. Their, their tongues were heavy. They spoke with vernacular. The speech of the common man is the denotation of that word. So they spoke with, with, with a heavy kind of tongue. So they, they couldn't really do the, the most eloquent languages effortlessly. It, it, it took them, it, it was a lot of trouble for them. So when the people that could speak all these, these elevated or eloquent languages heard them, they was like, hold up, it's Galileans speaking that? Them, them boys, they, they say Doug, not dog. How, how they speaking like that? How, how they do that? That's oh, that, that, that's crazy. And here's what I love about God. Because when he empowers somebody, God, he says in his word, I will always use the foolish things to shame the wise. This is why you got to be humble. Because when God puts power on something, it's never on what you expect. You don't have to be powerful to get more power. You need to be humble. If you're humble. And listen, you, you say, I'm not equipped. I ain't got This is the... God says, let me use the Galileans just so I can make a point. It ain't the folks that think they got it all figured out who I'm going to use. I'm going to use the folks that everybody despises. The ones that everybody looks down on. I'm going to fill them with power because I want to make a point through filling the lowest of these with the most of me so that the world can see that I, I, I am not a respecter of persons. I don't care if you think you got it. You think you got it? I'm not going to use you. I'm going to use the one that you think you're better than. This, this is the kind of God that we, we serve. And, and I, I, I love this because look at, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, 
they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. These are people on the ground. Utterly amazed. They asked, aren't these people who are speaking Galileans? How is that each of us hears them in our native language? And it tells all the language, all the, all the different nations that they came from. And then it says this. I, I, I love this. In verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They were speaking different languages, but they were all saying the same thing. Oh, my God, I want you to catch this. I, when I read that, I was like, hold up. God sent the Holy Spirit. He had people speak in tongues, all these different languages, some earthly, some heavenly. He used language. God used language to prove a point. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of something else that I heard in the Bible. Because there's a, one other time where God in the Bible uses languages to prove a point with people. You know where it is? Go back to Genesis, the Tower of Babel. God uses language to prove a point. Genesis chapter 11, you can go back home and read it for yourself. And I, I, I love this because he used different languages, but they were all saying the same thing in Acts. But in Genesis, the people used to speak one language. Then God gave them different languages so that they were no longer on the same page. Why did he do that in Genesis? Well, because they said, hey, we're going to build a great tower so that we can make a name for ourselves. So God says, uh-uh-uh-uh. Y'all, y'all, y'all getting too big for your britches. You, you, you're doing too much down there. So I'm going to confuse your language to separate you because I don't want you to come together for your purpose. I want you to come together for mine. So God uses language to separate them in the Old Testament. But then he gives different languages in the New Testament to bring us together. Look at what the great theologian says John Scott he says they all spoke in different tongues yet there was unity among believers ever since the early church fathers commentators have seen the blessing of Pentecost as a deliberate listen to this and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel God uses language to divide in one place he uses language in the New Testament through the power of the Holy Spirit to reverse the curse yeah, yeah. of disunity in the Old Testament to bring people together yeah. in the New Testament. God sends the Holy Spirit to reverse the curse of Babel. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you might be like, why do I need the Holy Spirit? Maybe you need it so God can reverse the curse in your family. Maybe he needs to reverse the generational curses in your family. Maybe he needs to reverse the curse of addiction. Maybe he needs to reverse the curse 
of alcoholism. Maybe he needs to reverse the curse of divorce. Maybe he needs to reverse the curse of a misplaced identity. Maybe he needs to reverse the curse of abuse. I don't know about you, but I need the Holy Spirit in my life because God wants to use me to be a generational curse breaker. See, maybe there's been confusion in your family in the past, but God wants to send the Holy Ghost on you so that he can reverse the curse in your family. He's going to give you a new language. He's going to give you a new name. He's going to give you a new purpose so that through the power of the Holy Ghost, the generational curses that happened before you will never happen after you. If you believe it, say amen. God used the Holy Spirit to reverse the curse. Man. You see, when you want to do something for your own agenda, God will confuse it. But when you activate that power of the Holy Spirit, that says, this ain't for me. I ain't trying to make myself famous. I want to make God famous. So God's going to put some extra anointing on you and in you so that you can do what he has called you to do. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heavenly language. And I love this because it's, in, it's a language that the enemy can't decipher. The enemy keeps on hurting some of us and getting all up in our business because he knows exactly what we're saying. You start speaking in that heavenly language. He's like, what in the world? Oh, they talk, I don't even know. And I love it because it's a language that maybe I don't understand it. But the Bible says that when I pray in tongues, when I speak in the spirit, I'm praying the perfect will of God. I'm not praying my will anymore. I'm praying God's will. It confuses the enemy. And I now become in unison. The spirit within me speaks back to the place in which it came from. And there's a unity between God and me. And if there's a unity between God and me, then he can do anything through me. So if there's a unity between God and you, he can do anything through you too. This is why the power of the Holy Spirit is beautiful, because it's supposed to unify us, not just us with each other. It's supposed to unify us to God. We need it. We need to celebrate and and embrace. I love it because here's the thing. They spoke different languages, but they were all saying the same thing. Different languages, same thing. Listen, can we start celebrating the differences in our dear brothers and sisters? we all saying Jesus why are we so mad about how different we saying it can we start to celebrate the di- like how, how could you come together cool church and, and the fountain church because I'm not here to make cool famous I'm here to make Jesus famous last time I checked fountain trying to make Jesus famous too what happens when we come together we may do things differently but we all saying the same thing we can't ever be these 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 people that, that, that have churches that create our own microcosms of faith because we just want to constantly do things our way and not God's way. We may be saying, we may be saying things that sound different, but it's actually the same. Here's, here's, can I, listen, I've been talking a lot spiritually. Can I talk practically about what this unification will do? Because, because the, the, the reality is I already no exponential growth is going to come. I already gave you the verse. One could put 1,000 to fly. Two could put 10,000 to fly. Let me just tell you by the numbers. We speak different languages as churches, 
but we're still saying the same thing. So because we're saying all the same thing, here's the potential that we have. I'll just give you some numbers, just off the top. There will be a 17% um, percent increase in our children's programming, which means right now, Cool Church, we see about 150 uh, kids. I'm talking about kids from fifth grade all the way down to, to nursery. They come to church here each and every week between the two services. Add another 17% to that when we add the fountain to it. That's growth. Yeah. Okay, let me give you another number. Baptisms. We baptize hundreds of people every year, but this, 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 this merge, this marriage, there will be a 27% increase in baptisms. We're going to baptize hundreds more people this year alone just because we're doing it together. Like y'all ain't excited about baptisms? That's a public confession of faith. Okay. Next generation youth. Hector and Stephanie, y'all going to love this. These are our middle schoolers and high schoolers. If we come together, there'll be a 32% increase in our youth programs. We already seeing 60 to 70 come a week. Add another 32% on that. Okay, that's not enough for you. Guess what? My mom's always told me that many hands make light work. We have a beautiful dream team, servant leader core. These are the people that serve each and every week humbly. They welcome you from the pulpit all the way to the parking lot. This merge will create a 38% increase in our servant. We already, Cool Church by itself, we got over 300 people that are registered servant leaders. Add another 38% onto that. I didn't say 38 people, I said percent. Go do the math. I'm, listen, I'm a pastor. I'm not a mathematician. Go do the math. Here's all. Oh, I love this. There'll be a 41% increase in attendance across all three campuses. 41. All right, so I'll give you a number. If we all came together right now, which is what we actually are doing, there will be over 2,000 people a week in church. Over 2,000 people a week. Why does that get you so high? Pastor, you all about the numbers. No, I'm all about the potential for salvation. If we get over 2,000 people in church, then guess what? There's a bigger pot to pull from. More people have the potential to get saved and changed by the power of Jesus Christ because more people decided to tell more people. More family members got together to be a witness and bring people into God's house. So guess what? More people can get saved in Jesus' name. If that don't get you excited, I don't know what will like what else we doing this for a big congregation so what people need to get saved and changed by the power of Jesus Christ we're here to build strong families and build strong futures but no family is more important than the family of heaven we will plunder hell we gonna snatch people up out that fire and we're going to make sure that we all get to see each other again. I can't wait for the day we get to heaven. Y'all ain't even going to recognize me because I'm going to have all my hair back. But let me tell you something. When we get up there, we about to have the biggest barbecue of all time. I'm going to get to see my people again. I'm going to say, Miss what's up? Oh, it's going to be so dope. I'm so excited because I'm going to see my family again. I'm working really hard on this side so I can party again with y'all on the other side. What are we doing this for if people ain't getting saved? The main result of this unity be that more people will have the potential to get saved, man. Unity produces power that will allow us 
to build strong families and build strong futures on another level. Amen? And finally, we know what happened at Pentecost, but why did it happen? Why did Pentecost happen? Acts 2, 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? The 120 in the upper room, they're praying in tongues. They're in the upper room. Theologians believe there was some type of balcony, possibly, as some of them were spilling out on, as they were speaking in all these different languages. And people in the city that had showed up for Shabbat, they're looking up like, what are they doing up there? They turned, like, that's a, that's a party, but, but wait. I, I know who these guys are. These are Galileans. They're not, they're not from where I'm from. Why are they speaking my language clearly and I can understand? Like, wait. There's no way they can know. And, and as they walk up, they're, they're perplexed and amazed. But look at what they say. They say, what does this mean? They, they at the bottom, they see it going crazy up top. And they're like, hey, what y'all doing up there? What's going on? What does this mean? How come, how come I can understand you? I love Peter. Peter, he sees that they are perplexed, and he hears that question, what does this mean? What I love about this is that when the Holy Spirit starts to move, you see what happens in the scripture? People are prompted to ask questions. Holy Spirit starts moving, the people down below, what y'all doing? I don't think this verse would have went the right way if the Holy Spirit started moving, and then Peter leans over at the side of the balcony and was like, hey, y'all need to get y'all life right. It wouldn't work the same. The Holy Spirit moves. Peter doesn't have to force himself on them. When the Holy Spirit moves, they begin to ask us questions. I, I, I love this so, so much because when the spirit is moving properly, I want you to understand the easiest way in your life to spread the gospel is not going to be to force it. But God's power on you should make you interesting enough for people to want to ask you questions. Like there are people right now, you know this, like it's just you just look at them and it's something on them. It's like, yo, I want to go talk to this person. Like, they, they, just, they just look cool. Like, there's certain people, they got an energy on them you want to stay away from. But when God's people had a Holy Spirit living in them, it makes us the most interesting people in the world. People want to engage. You know, I'm a pastor, and I get to stand up here and yell and all that. You know, uh, teaching is telling it. Preaching is yelling it. So I get to preach a lot, right? But... The greatest gospel I feel like I ever preached was not one I preached from a pulpit. It's when I'm sitting in a grocery store or I'm sitting in a random place. And like, and people just start, like, you know when people really like just want to talk to you, like they ain't got nothing really to say to you, but they just try to say something to have an end in conversation. They're like, hey, uh, uh, so, um, you like this store too? I'm like, I'm here. And I, every time it happens, I, I'm like, I see what this is. Uh, we were at Home Depot uh, yesterday, and my wife and I were, were trying to do our backyard and all kinds of stuff. But I've been going to Home Depot for like the last three days. And every time I go in the garden section, 
there's a lady there every single time. And like, you know, sometimes I just put my head down. I'm focused on what I'm trying to do. But as I was as I was checking out, she just started to have a conversation. She's like, hmm, look like you about to really do a lot of work because I had a bunch of mulch and stuff. And I, and I looked at God and said, I know what this is. Did I turn around? And, you need Jesus in your life, man, because you asked me about my gardening. No, I, div- I started having a conversation. I was like, yeah, it's a Memorial Day. Trying to do that. I left, came back. She was there again the next day. She said, hey, how you doing? Sweet, sweet older lady. I say, hey, you, you remember me? Like, like once, I, once I connect with you somewhere and I come back, I'll make sure we have a conversation again. Do you remember me? Yeah, yeah. Had another whole conversation. So yesterday, me and my wife finally go. Because every time I see her and she see me with all this stuff, me trying to make my wife happy, I say, happy wife, happy life. Right? So now my wife was with me. And uh, Joanne, you know, she's she a New Yorker. She's like, get in, get out, let's go. So Jen was like, oh, it's a free lane right here. Let's just go over here and I can do the self-checkout. And we, I said, baby, no, 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 no. We got to go over here. But it's a line over there. I was like, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> but why? We could just go ahead. I said, baby girl, I've been building a rapport for the last few days. And talking to this sweet lady. and building it up because it might be an opportunity to invite somebody to God's house. I didn't start the conversation. She started the con. She initiated it because I, I believe, and I believe this for your life too, I believe people can sense anointing on you. And I believe people will start conversations with you. And when they happen, you have to say, I hear you, God. I hear you. And you need to engage. We got to stop being shy and shrieking back from conversations. When God sends somebody to you with a question, he only sends it because he knows he's already given you the answer. And I love Peter because Peter, he's so empowered in this moment. Hey, what y'all doing up there? Hey, y'all drunk? Peter's like, fool, it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. We ain't drunk. Get your story straight. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what's happening. See, uh, this is why I'm not in the Bible. I'm sure Peter ain't say fool. I wouldn't be like, fool? Peter was nicer about it. He's like, hey, let me, let me tell you what's happening. Acts 2.14. Then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I love the tactician that Peter was, man, because he, he was like, let me, let me take my time and explain this properly. Some of us want people to get saved and change, and we want to ram Jesus down their throat without explaining properly. Yeah. Peter takes it. He's like, hey, listen, let me let you know what's going on, because I know this is kind of weird. Let me explain to you what's happening. The thing about Peter doing this out of all the disciples, Peter was the same man that denied Jesus three times. The same coward that when a little girl saw him in a courtyard, was like, hey, why are you one of the men? Well, Jesus was like, shut up, girl. Go back to your TikTok. Be quiet. That wasn't me. Right? He did this three times. Three times and then the rooster crows. And I love Jesus because when Jesus wants to reinstate Peter into the ministry, he comes back from the grave. He calls Peter to the shore. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. 
Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? God, why do you keep asking me to You know I do feed my sheep. He reinstates him by getting him to affirm who Jesus is three times to erase every denial that Peter ever gave. Love me, feed my sheep. Now, not only is he affirmed in Jesus, because Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Not only is he affirmed by Jesus, now he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He got an affirmation. I'm a rock. So I, I got I to gotta stand firm. But he didn't have that boldness until the Holy Spirit came on him. And Peter, here's a question. He's like, say less. Stay back. I got this. Peter starts leaning into these people with the gospel. And here's the thing about Peter. Listen, here's, where, here's, here's how I want to be in life. I don't ever, ever want to be ashamed of what I believe. Because there was a time in Peter's life he was so ashamed of what he believed. He was so ashamed that he denied Jesus three times. And it's so funny because believers can be ashamed about what we believe while the world is loud about nonsense. They push all the propaganda on us. They push all the agenda on us. And we sit back as Christians and we just let it happen because we don't want to offend nobody. We don't want to get canceled. So we try to play it safe when God is saying, I need you to stand out and be bold about who you are. Same man that denied Jesus. Same man that was scared to speak the truth. He says, in this moment, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to succumb to intimidation from people. They already clowning us. They saying we drunk, but let me correct that. Because there's a lot of things that people say about Christians that we stand back and we never correct. And I'm sick of it. We got to learn to stand up for ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. He boldly professes in Acts 2, 36-38, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus who you crucified. He wasn't, he wasn't even trying to play about it. He's like, hey, y'all killed your Savior. You did it. He says he was both Lord and Messiah. And the Bible says in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter has so much anointing on him through the power of the Holy Spirit. His words literally pierced the hearts of the people that had questions. And because their hearts were pierced, the Bible says, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, listen to this. First, y'all drunk. Y'all drunk turned into from these same people. Brothers, what shall we do? They went from making fun of them to calling them family. Power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. Because what Peter had to say, what the Holy Spirit had to say through Peter was something that drew people in, not pushed people away. We got to be very careful. We can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can be confident. But what we say should not push people away. It should draw them closer to the God in us. I want people that clown me today to call me brother tomorrow. Brothers, what shall we do? Bro uh, uh, uh. Brothers, hit him with another question. And I love this. Peter replies, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I need to encourage somebody in this room today. You say, Pastor T, I can't get up there and preach. I'm not asking you to. You don't need to hold a microphone. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a Bible teacher. You do not have to have read the Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. I'm telling you, if you got the power of the Holy Spirit on you, God will give you everything you need to connect with the people you're supposed to get to. Because here's the thing, I can communicate from a pulpit, but there's people that you are connected to that I will never be connected to, and God wants to use you to get to them. But you cannot sit back and be scared while the world is loud about nonsense. You got to stand in boldness, and you have to preach truth and power and love in the name of Jesus. Because I promise you, Jesus said it like this, if I be lifted up, all men shall be drawn unto me. There is a natural desire in everybody to go and find out who Jesus is. There's a God-shaped hole in all of our heart, but the issue is with all of us is we only have certain proximity to certain people, but if we are scared, we are literally wasting the anointing. We are wasting the power, and we are wasting the position that God has put you in to reach the people that he has called you to reach. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you to give you a boldness to be a witness. To be a witness. Jesus says, I need you to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. I need you to preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The only reason Peter had power, it was not on his own strength. We already saw that Peter was a coward. He ran. He, he, he was a person that was intimidated when people came to check him. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit within him, he stood up that day. And he said words that cut straight to their hearts. I don't know the whole Bible, but if the Holy Spirit is on me, I could say something in a moment that cuts somebody at the heart. The problem is some of us have some of us haven't been cutting people's hearts with the spirit. We've been cutting people's hearts with our malice. We've been cutting people's hearts with our pettiness. We've been cutting people's hearts with our pride. We've been cutting people's hearts with our arrogance. When we are not supposed to use the flesh to cut hearts, we're supposed to use the spirit to penetrate hearts. Acts 2.41. Peter finally gets boldness from the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted... His message were baptized. It says those who accept it. That means there's some that did not accept. Let me encourage somebody. Everybody you speak the word to ain't going to get it. That's okay. Don't stop speaking it because it's been rejected. If they rejected Jesus, what you think they're going to do to you? Those who accepted his message were baptized. <clears throat> I love this. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. The church went from 120 to 3,120 in a day through the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit empowers us, there's an exponential growth to the kingdom. We ain't talking about one plus one. This ain't addition. It's multiplication. But in an exponential level, how many people will know who Jesus is because we decided not to do this by ourselves, but we decided to come together. I'm so excited 
that the greatest days of the capital C church are in front of us and cool church is great and the fountain is great but I'm so excited to see what the Holy Spirit does through both of us together how many more people will be added to the kingdom and here's what I want you to understand. The Holy Spirit is not just something in the New Testament. It was God's plan for exponential growth that started the revival that started this church. And I'm here to tell you in 2023, the Holy Spirit is still God's plan today. It ain't better systems. It ain't bigger buildings. It ain't better worship songs. We need the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit within us. Because when the Spirit within it was within us, people could see it. They could feel it. They might not like the music. They might not like the building. Heck, they might not even like us, but they can't deny that there's something in us. When the power of the Holy Spirit is on you, it's going to empower you to do what God has called you to do. The Spirit unites us, and it empowers us. There is unity, and there is power. Today, we need unity and power to be the witness that God has called us to be for this generation and far beyond. So by coming together, God's going to empower two houses to become one. And we'll be a witness in Miramar, in Miami Gardens, online, and to the ends of the earth. Because we decided to come together. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit make one church in three locations that will jet bless generations long after all of us are gone. Everybody wants legacy, whether they admit it or not. I want to know that the things that I did in life while I was alive, that they mattered after I was gone. You say, Pastor, that's your dream. That's your vision. What about mine? Let me tell you something. A vision apart from God is no vision. It's just division. I want my vision to align with God's vision. One vision. One church. It's not my church. It's God's church. Amen? See, today, not only does the Holy Spirit unify us and empower us, but the reality is, if you just want the power to live the right way, so I ain't ready to go change the world with the gospel. I just, like, I got to get some stuff right first. If you just want the power to live the right way, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life more abundantly. You know how you live an abundant life? What's an abundant life? More than you need to do what you're called to do. How do you live a life with more? How do you live a life beyond where you are right now? How do you live in abundance? Can't do it without the Holy Spirit. I've been doing this Christian thing long enough to know. Without the Holy Spirit, I got nothing. Not that smart, not that talented, not that gifted. But with the Holy Spirit on me, you can't even tell. You want to live an abundant life? What did Peter say to do? Repent and be baptized. Then you will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't have it until you have repented. You can't even get baptized until you have repented. We're going to have a baptism on, on, on June 10th, a beach baptism. It's going to be amazing. Don't even do that unless you repent. 
Let me, let me give you an opportunity right now because it is, the, it is the purpose of my life to grow God's family. You say, man, I want that power to live in abundance, man. I want that power to live the way that Jesus called me to live. I want the power to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. You must repent. I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm just telling you what the word says. The Bible says repent and be baptized. Maybe you've known Jesus, but you've been living foul. Time to repent. Maybe you've never known him. And he's like, man, I want to live the life that you're talking about, a life with Jesus. Guess what? Repent. Thank you so much for listening. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends because it helps so much. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.